0: Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. We have been studying through the book of Zechariah and it is considered by many to be the most difficult book in the Bible to understand. And um, I think that if you took it by itself, apart from the rest of Scripture, that that would be true. But when you compare spiritual things with spiritual. You compare the words of Zechariah to the words of the other books of the Bible, it becomes much more easy to understand, doesn't it? But it's labor. It's labor. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. All you kids, you ready? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's labor to this. Talking about the office of the pastor, the Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and in doctrine. There's labor involved in the study of God's word, it's work. And in a day and age when everything, We're doing everything we can to make everything as easy as possible. How many of you have noticed that we have all of the instruments and tools to make life easier and we're busier than we've ever been? Right? The book of Daniel tells us that. that In the last days, people are going to be running to and fro and going all over the place and knowledge would increase in the earth. And yet, when Christ returns, the Bible says that he has a name that no one knows. Do you know what his name is? The Word of God. When He comes, there's going to be so much knowledge in the world, and yet no knowledge of the Word of God. Why? Because everything is designed to dumb down the Bible, to to bring scriptural knowledge to its lowest common denominator so as many people as possible can understand it. The only problem is, if you do that, you can never really know God because God is included... In the whole of the Bible, uh, the, the Bible tells us that Paul in Acts chapter 20, he said, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole gospel of God. The whole counsel of God, he said. He, he taught the whole Bible. That's what we're supposed to do. Study it and compare it and understand it and learn it. And do you know what that means? It's going to be work. It's going to be hard. Now, we need practical Christian truth, don't we? We need to know how to have joy in Christ. How, do, how, do, how is our joy full? How does that happen? When the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, rules in our hearts, how does that happen? When we come to the Lord, we bring Him our petitions and we're thankful. That's what Philippians chapter 4 teaches us. Those are very practical things, aren't they? Well, there's something very practical in our passage today. Now, what Zechariah is about is uh, the temple had been destroyed and Israel had been taken into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. After the Babylonian captivity, they're led back into the land and they start building the temple. But Sanballat and Tobiah and the Samaritans, they fight against them. And the king says, you've got to stop building the temple. So they stopped building the temple. Well, Zerubbabel comes back and... And Haggai the prophet is prophesying, and Zechariah the prophet is prophesying. And now God says, build the temple, finish the temple. And that's what the book of Zechariah is about. Now they're going to complete it. They're going to continue God's work in the land. And the first part of the book is made up with between 8 and 10 visions, depending on how you divide them up. And we're going to look at one of those visions today. And we're going to look primarily at the end of chapter 4, But we need to read the whole chapter to remind us of where we are and where we're going. Now, Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that has wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his... Seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. All right, so now what he's seeing is a candlestick. Picture a menorah. All right, so you have a candlestick, and out of it, there's one that comes up in the middle, and then uh, three on each side. I'm not a math expert, all right? So there's seven places for lamps on top of this menorah. How many of you know what a menorah looks like? But this is a different menorah. Out of that center candlestick, there's a bowl. And out of that bowl, there comes a pipe that comes down to the first one and then goes to each of the other six. And in that bowl is oil, and the oil goes down to provide the the, the fuel for the lamp. Then there's in those lamps little bowls, and there'd be a wick that would just float in that bowl, and you would light that wick, and that's how the candlestick would work. I know you're thinking, Pastor, that's wonderful. That changed my life. But we're going somewhere with this. Look at verse 3. And two olive trees by it. Now, this is new. All right? Every Jew knew what the menorah was. How many of you get that? All right? All right. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. And so he starts to, God starts to explain to Zechariah what all this means. Drop down to verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he asks him that several times. And it's so interesting. The angel says to Zechariah, You mean you don't know what these are? Why don't you know what these are? You don't know that? Any of you teachers ever do that to your kids? They ask you a question. You don't know that? What have I been doing here for the last nine years? You don't know that? Have you ever feel that way? How many of you ever feel that way with your kids? Have I been with you so long and still you don't know? Right? Your life is about to be over. Now, this is, you know, when we read this, we look at it and we go, Good night. What in the world is going on with all of this? So let's look at the components of this vision. Let's understand what the components are, what they mean, and then we'll get the message of the text. The first thing is the candlestick. That's the menorah. It provided light in the temple. Now, here coming up in the the, the Hanukkah season, you'll see a menorah, but that menorah has nine candles. That's not the menorah from the temple. The menorah from the temple had seven, seven lights. Uh, Why is the Hanukkah one, why does it have nine? Because after um, the the Maccabean revolt, this happens between Malachi and Matthew. After the Maccabean revolt, um, they didn't have enough oil to light the lamp. They don't had enough oil for one day. They put the oil in the candlestick and it burned. It took them eight days to produce, purify, sanctify the oil for the temple and that oil that was only enough for one day burned for eight days. And so that's where the, the nine days of the, the Hanukkah lamp come from. But I'll tell you, what's sad is um, because the Jews had begun to allegorize everything in the Old Testament, that's how they could change God's plan for the light. God had said it was seven. Seven's the number of what? Perfection it was perfect. You can't add to perfection. When you try to add something to perfection, all you can do is diminish it. But this candle, it, it, was, a, it was a candlestick of menorah, and we all know what that is. Exodus 35, 14. Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to read some verses to you if you want to write down the reference and then maybe uh, put them in your Bible later. We're going to go fast through this first part so we can emphasize the last. But the, the candlestick was, it, according to Exodus thirty five fourteen, it says this, the candlestick also for the light and his furniture and his lamps with oil for the light. That's Exodus thirty five fourteen. That was going to be in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Now, the menorah pictures several things in the Bible. And let's go ahead and look at these. Uh, look at Isaiah 42, 6. Isaiah 42, 6. Is it just me, or is it it warm in here? It's warm? Okay, ladies, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're comfortable, that means you've got to keep the man next to you awake. Okay, it's your job, and it's okay with me if you smack him in the head, whatever we have to do to keep this going. All right. Um, how many of you? This is the weirdest church service you've ever been in. That's, that's us. Um, okay. Isaiah chapter forty-two, verse six. The Bible says, "I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles." You see this menorah when you if you go to Israel today, the symbol for the nation of Israel. You see the Star of David. That's a symbol, but the menorah is also a symbol. If you go to the Knesset, they have a huge menorah outside the Knesset. This is a, it's representative of the nation of Israel. They're supposed to be the light of the world. We all know Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the, in the temple, this candlestick was the only light that was in the room, and it shone light on the table of showbread. And the Bible says in Luke 4.4 4, and in Matthew 4.4, 4, uh, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. All right? So the light is the light on the word of God. So what is it? It's a sign of the Scriptures. It's a, it's a picture. This menorah is a picture of the word of God. If you want to have light on your path, know what God says. If you want to know where you're supposed to go, know what God says. Um, but it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 5. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Which are the seven spirits of God. What in the world? are the seven spirits of God. Well, seven, number of perfection, it's the Holy Spirit. We could take the time and track it down. We've done it in other services. But if you go through the Bible, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, seeking to and fro, uh, going to and fro in the earth. The seven eyes of God, the seven spirits of God, it's the same thing. It's the Holy Spirit of God. What is that? The Holy Spirit of God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, seeing everything, the good and the evil. So this menorah, it represents the Holy Spirit of God. Um, then it also represents the church. How about that? The, the church. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, "...one like unto the Son of Man." All right? So the seven golden candlesticks. You say, Brother Jim, why do you say that's the church? Look at verse 20. "...the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches." So sometimes people wonder um, why we believe in the rapture of the church before the tribulation period... Because these four and twenty elders, they are the ones who are speaking and they are called the seven golden candlesticks. And the Bible tells us that's the churches. So the believers are gone. We're in heaven and represented by this candelabra, this candelabra. How many think of Liberace when you think, I wish my brother George was here. Remember him? Um, So this menorah, it it represents Israel, it represents the Word of God, and it represents uh, the Holy Spirit, and it represents the church, and of course, right in the middle of it is Jesus Christ. Tonight, in the evening service, we're going to look at how Jesus Christ, how we know that Jesus Christ is in the center of this thing. I hope that you'll come back for that at 5.30. But how many of you can see that this candlestick is pretty important in the Scriptures? It's central to God's plan. Notice, it's central to God's plan for Israel. It's central to God's plan for the church. It's central to God's plan of using the scriptures. And it's central to God's plan of the Holy Spirit being the one that fuels the whole thing. All right? Now, um, so you have this candlestick. So you have your candlestick, and out of it are the seven lamps There's a bowl on top of it with seven golden pipes that come down and provide the oil. How does the oil get into the bowl? Well, that's what the two olive trees are for, the two olive trees. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 4. Look at verse 11. Then answered I and said unto them or unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof and i answered again and said unto him these be two olive branches which through the gold the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves okay so now you got your candelabra you got your menorah and on each side of it are these two olive trees and out of the olive trees come a branch from each side that is a golden tube that the oil comes from the olive tree into the bowl. How many of you can picture that in your mind? Now, some people say that the reason for the nine-branched menorah is this, that you have the seven and then the two uh, olive trees on the side make the nine. The Bible never says that. So that's why I I wouldn't go that far with it. But um, I wanted to make you aware of that. So now these are on each side. And these two, again, he was very familiar with the candlestick, with the menorah. But these two olive trees on each side, this was confusing to him. This was new. Notice he asks a separate question about these two olive trees and the olive branches that come into the bowl. Now, look at verse 13. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Now, let me me just stop right there. It's so important for us to realize that we have not arrived in the Christian life. That there's no one here who has mastered the Word of God. Especially me. None of us are experts on the Bible. When the Bible describes the qualifications for a pastor, one of the qualifications is this, not a novice. You know, it doesn't say one who's mastered the scriptures. It says not a novice. What a, a novice doesn't know how to handle the scriptures. Somebody who's not a novice knows how to handle the scriptures, but no one can master the Bible. So this is what what God is doing here in this text. Do you understand this? Do Do you know what this means? No, Lord. You're right. You don't know. So listen to what I'm telling you. That's the humility with which the Scriptures must be approached. You know, there are things that we'll never understand about the Bible until we're with the Word, until we're with Jesus Christ. Then he'll, he'll reveal. That's what eternity is going to be, Jesus Christ teaching the Word of God to us. Um, in in uh, Malachi, I'm sorry, in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and He will teach us of His ways. When is that? That's in the millennium. That's in the kingdom. We've already been raptured out. God has judged Israel. They've turned to Him. He's established His kingdom on this earth. The mountains have been brought low. The valleys have been raised up. Jerusalem is raised up to the highest place. And all over the globe, from one end of the world to the other, the Bible says, people say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And there He will teach us of His ways. What does that mean? That means that for a thousand years... For a thousand years, people are going to go and sit at Jesus' feet. And he's going to teach them. Then what are we going to do for the next eternity? Worship him. Worship him. Praise God. All right, now, let's keep going in our text. Look at verse 14. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Well, that helps... What's he talking about? Well, if you look Zechariah chapter three, verse one, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. All right This is the high priest. God takes away his filthy garments, he puts clean garments on him, He puts his word in his heart, and then he says that all Israel will be saved in a day. All right? So the first of these anointed ones is Joshua. The second of the anointed ones is given in the answer to Zechariah's first question in chapter four. All right, look at verse four. Zechariah four four. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these? What are these, my lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? What's repetition in the Bible? Nah, I don't know what this means, God. No, I don't know. I don't you mean you don't know this? That's why you need me. That's what God says. Okay. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto who? Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, saith the Lord. Who art thou, O great mountain? But for Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro in the earth. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 14. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. You have, God's work is going to be done. That's Israel's going to be restored. The temple worship is going to happen again. That's the menorah. And standing on each side of that are God's two anointed servants, the high priest Joshua who he's cleansed and called and prepared and the governor of the land, Zerubbabel. God said, you will be a holy nation for me. That's what Zechariah chapter 4 is about. That's the message of Zechariah chapter 4. And how are they going to do it? They're anointed. Anointed with what? What, what? What in the Bible are people anointed with? Oil. Oil. What is it? That's the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. It says it right here in verse at the end of verse 10. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. What is that? Those are the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us that very clearly. Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5, they all tie that together and let us know that that's the Holy Spirit of God. Look, God's work can't be done without the Holy Spirit. Is that right? So think about the way that this imagery is done. You have the two men of God, these olive trees. These olive trees are getting the power from the Holy Spirit. They're anointed of God. They're my anointed ones. They're anointed of God with power, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes into that bowl, and that provides the power for all the worship and all the work that will be done through all of these things. That's what the Bible is telling us. Now, how many of you can see that that's what's happening in this text? And it's pretty clear. Once you see the imagery, that it's pretty clear. How many of you would say it's not clear? How many of you aren't going to vote? Okay. Now, all of that, it really is clear. But now let me show you a strange connection. Keep Zechariah chapter 4. Look at Revelation chapter 11. Okay? When you get Revelation chapter 11, hold it there and let's look at Zechariah 4. Let's read our text and then we'll read a text in Revelation. Okay. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14 again. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. You see that? Now we understand that's... Joshua and Zerubbabel and all that imagery that's there in this vision in Zechariah. Keep your place in Zechariah. Go to Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse 4. Verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. You think that's pretty wild. I've read that so many times. I've read it so many times, but it was only a couple of years ago that I saw the connection with Zechariah. How many of you have heard of the two witnesses of Revelation? Right? You've heard of that. But remember, there are more than 800 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. You can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding its Old Testament context. All right? Why? Why? Because Revelation chapter 1, according to Revelation 1.19, Revelation is divided into three parts. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The things which thou hast seen, that's Revelation chapter 1. The things which are, that's Revelation chapters 2 and 3, those seven churches. And the things which shall be hereafter, Revelation 4, 1. I heard a, a trumpet as it was talking with me that said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And he shows the future of what's going to happen after the rapture of the church, what's going to happen on earth to Israel. That's what it's about. So now we have these two witnesses. Let's try to figure out the connection between the two witnesses of Revelation and the two witnesses or the two olive trees of Zechariah. Um, Who are they? Well, we know that the ones in Zechariah are anointed ones and that they are Joshua and um, Zerubbabel. All right, look back at that verse with me, Zechariah, keep uh, Revelation 11, we'll be going back and forth now. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14, then said he, what's it, these will be, what's it say? These are the two anointed ones. So please don't mistake this as simply a prophecy of the two witnesses in Revelation. This passage is dealing with Israel, who has just come back in the land, who hasn't finished the temple. The context is immediate here. Do you see that? Okay? But God can do two things at once. He's dealing with Israel at that time, but he's also talking about what's going to come and what's going to happen in the future. Um, so let's look at this connection. Who are the witnesses in Revelation uh, chapter 11? Now, when I was younger, I always thought that it was um, Enoch and Elijah because those are the two people from the Old Testament who hadn't died. Remember, Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Right, And then Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. And so they they hadn't died. And Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it's appointed to a man once to die, and after this the judgment, that's a, a specific rule, so Enoch has to die. The only problem is, that's not what happens in the Bible. Let's see if we can figure out who these two witnesses are. The first thing I want you to know is why I don't believe that it's Enoch. Why I don't believe that it's Enoch. First of all, Enoch was a Gentile. Now sometimes we get our Bible chronology messed up. We think that everybody that God worked with in the Old Testament was a Jew, and in the New Testament, God uses the Jews to begin converting the Gentiles. That's not the case. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, um, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. So three groups of people in the Bible, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. Adam was a Gentile. Adam was a Gentile. We've all heard that the first Christian was a Jew, Jesus Christ. How many of you have heard that? Right? First Christian was a Jew, Jesus Christ. Yes, but the first Jew was a Gentile. Abraham was a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile, and God made of him a great nation. What was the great nation that he made from Abraham? Israel, the Jews, the Jews. So from Adam through Abraham, there were only Gentiles. From Abraham through uh, Pentecost, there was only uh, Jews and Gentiles. Then after Pentecost, now you have Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. And one of the mysteries that God revealed to the Apostle Paul was that in the church, there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one. Isn't that wonderful? There's not Jews and Gentiles in the church. There's only Christians, believers, sons of God, people who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life. All right? So now we have to understand this. In the Bible, olive tree, the olive tree is always used to represent Israel and the Jews. The olive branch, all of that, it's always Jews. So these two olive trees, they have to be Jewish. The two witnesses... They have to be Jewish. Enoch was not Jewish. Of course, Moses and Elijah were. Um, Then, Enoch is a picture of the church being raptured before tribulation. All right? Remember what happened. Yet Enoch was born. He lives. He walks with God and was not. You have Methuselah. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. What did Methuselah's death bring? The judgment of the flood. Remember, the imaginations of man's heart were only evil continually and God called Noah to preach to the people. They rejected it and God destroyed every person on the face of the earth. But there was one who was delivered beforehand, before the judgment. See, Noah was brought through the tribulation of the flood. Is that right? Enoch was saved from it. He was saved from the wrath to come. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord forever. Are we going to die? No. Those who are raptured out, they're not going to die. Enoch is the perfect picture of that. And God is very particular about his types. Do you remember when Moses... God told him to speak to the rock? And what did he do? He got mad and he hit it. What happened? He couldn't go into the promised land. Why? Because the Bible says that rock is Jesus. And Jesus would only be smitten once. Only once. Moses, what Moses did was he denied God that type... And God judged him with not being able to go into the promised land until the tribulation. It's interesting. It's interesting. So, that cannot be Enoch. Um, If Enoch dies, this type would be lost. So, who are they? Who are these two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11? Let's see if we can look for some identifiers. Look at Revelation chapter 11 and verse... Four, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Do you see them? They're standing before the God of the earth. Let's compare that with Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. They stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And in Revelation, it says they stand standing before the God of the earth. So let's see if we can figure out who in the Bible did this. Um, Look with me in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, verse 21. So remember, this is Moses. He wanted to see God's face. Uh, Verse 20, and he said, Thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place, what does it say? By me, by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. The Bible says in Zechariah 14, or in 4.14, that they stand by the Lord of the earth. So here's Moses standing by the Lord. We see that. Let's see what the Bible says about Elijah. Uh, Look at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Look at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. You see that? Before He's standing before the Lord, before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So here you have these two prophets of God. One stands by him in Exodus chapter 33. The other stands before him in First Kings chapter 1, and that's Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Look who appears at the coming of Christ. Look at Malachi chapter 4. Remember, Malachi is announcing the coming of the Lord. Look at Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember, He destroys them with the word of His mouth by fire. All right. So now look at chapter four. I mean, Malachi four verse four. Remember ye the law of who? Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you who? Elijah the prophet, before what? The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. All right? So when Jesus Christ comes, he has two prophets associated with that, Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Now, what is this? Discussion that they're having about his decease, which he would accomplish. They're talking about... He's talking with Moses and Elijah about his death, burial, and resurrection and the things that would happen after that. All right? So Moses and Elijah are the ones that Jesus is communing with or communicating with about his return. Let's look at what they do. Let's look at what what, what these two witnesses do and see if we can identify uh, how that connects with Moses and Elijah. Look at Revelation chapter 11. Now this is all the introduction to my message, all right? We're going to get to the message in a minute. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. Now, let me stop here. There are Bible teachers today that are saying the Bible never, nowhere talks about the temple being rebuilt. Isn't that silly? What's going on here? Measure the temple. All right? Then look at verse 2. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now it's a very specific prophecy, isn't it? Forty and two months. What is that? That's three and a half years. Then, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. What is that? That's three and a half years. All right, forty two months. Um, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must be in this manner killed. All right? So here's these guys, and they, they, can, they have fire that comes out of their mouths. Now, I was reading this morning, I have an article by Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, who's explaining who the two witnesses are. And he actually has some good things to say about the two witnesses. But he said, now, please don't think... He, he said, these men are representative of the Old Testament law and prophets. Please don't think there are actually two men who have fire come out of their mouth. Okay, let's, let's see this again. Verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. What do you do with a Bible teacher that tells you that fire's not going to proceed out of their mouth? Here's what we do Liar, liar, pants on fire. Why? Because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Now look, he's a good guy. He's helped a lot of people. I don't think that he's a bad man. He just doesn't believe in any of the future prophecies. He believed they were all all fulfilled in 70 A.D. when when he says Christ returned and destroyed Jerusalem. Isn't that weird? All right, so anyway. Um, these guys have fire come out of their mouths. Let's look at, um, look with me at Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Look at verse 30. Remember what happens with Korah, these men that are coming against Moses. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that are, that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit. Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Now let me let me say this. Um, you know, hell's in the center of the earth. All right. Uh, I understand. There's lots of Bible scholars who say that we don't know where hell is. Where did these guys go? God opened up the earth, and they went down into the pit. So they went down into the earth, and then God took them someplace else. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus said, "As, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. So it's just... Isn't it amazing what happens when you just believe what the Bible says? Why do these scholars... have have such a lack of faith in the word of God that they've got to try and explain away the words of the Bible. It's it's just, I'm incredulous. All right, so now, look at verse 22. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak, Unto the congregation saying, get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Why is he telling them to do that? Because they're going away. It would be a good idea if you weren't standing near them. Right? Look at verse 35. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. So, look, God destroys Korah. People still don't believe they, they cause trouble. Moses speaks against them and fire comes out and destroys the people. All right. Did that come out of Moses' mouth? No, but he was able to call it. He was able to call it. Look at second Kings. Second Kings chapter one. This is wild right here. 2 Kings chapter 1. Look at verse 10. So remember what's happening is um, Ahaziah is sending men to capture Elijah. Verse 10, And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, let their fire come down from heaven and consume thee of thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven, and consumed them of his fifty. And also he sent unto him, again, also, he sent unto him another captain of fifty. Now, how many of you would like to be in that group? With his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven, and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. All right, so Moses and Elijah both had the capacity to call down fire from heaven. And here in Revelation chapter 11, it says it comes out of their mouths. All right, so this is helping us identify who these two witnesses are. Go back to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 6. These have the power to shut... Heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, so they can shut up the heavens that it won't rain in the days of their prophecy. Look at James chapter five. James chapter five verse seventeen. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband wait, the husbandman waiteth for uh, husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Now, look, I know there's charismatics that are all talking about the early rain, the latter rain, and that the, all the miracles they can do now are the latter rain. The Bible defines the early and latter rain right here. Look at what it says. Verse 8, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Look at verse um, 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. So what do we have here? Elijah had the ability from God to keep it from raining for three and a half years. These witnesses, what are they able to do? Look at Revelation 11:6, and these have the power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. What are the days of their prophecy? A thousand, two hundred, threescore days. How many days is that? That's three and a half years. So this is Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Look at the next half of verse 6. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. What did Moses do? And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. How many plagues did Moses bring? Ten plagues. You see, this is obviously, these witnesses are obviously Moses and Elijah. Well, what did these witnesses do? What did these witnesses do? Well, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.15, the law requires two witnesses to bring an accusation against someone. Is that right? Two witnesses bring an accusation against someone. What are these two witnesses doing? They're bringing an accusation against Israel for their apostasy. That's what they're doing. They're preaching against Israel. Look at Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Now remember, you have Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, right? Preaching to Israel for three and a half years. They're killed. They lie in the street, dead for three and a half days. Then they stand up to life again. Then what does God do? He takes them out. Look at what it says. Verse 11. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered in unto them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. What is this? This is a picture of everything that Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He came into his own. His own received a knot. They kill him. He dies three and a half, day, three and a half days later. He's, he's risen. He walks around for 40 days and he ascends up into heaven. Here are these guys come preaching Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, challenging Israel for three and a half years. How long did Jesus Christ preach on the earth? Three and a half years. This is all pointing to it, saying, look, I'm telling you again and again and again and again. Please listen. I don't want you to die. But they reject him. Look at the next verse. Verse 13. And at the same hour, in the same hour, was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. What is that talking about? You have seven trumpet judgments, seven woe judgments, seven vile judgments, and 21 specific judgments where God is beating on Israel, saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And they finally turned to him. What are these men doing? What are they doing? They prophesy. They prophesy. Um, Now, they're clothed in sackcloth. Do you see that? They're clothed in sackcloth. What is that? You see, the Old Testament prophets from Elijah all the way through John the Baptist, they were all clothed in sackcloth. What is that? That's the clothing of mourning. And they were mourning for the national sin of Israel. Why don't we wear sackcloth? Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. We can rejoice. We can be free. We can celebrate. But here again, the churches are gone and God is again dealing with Israel and these prophets show up in sackcloth. Um. Now, what are they doing? Look at verse uh, get Zechariah 4:14 and Revelation 11:6. Let's look at them again. What are they doing? Then he said, "These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth." All right, You see that? Then said he, "These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth." Look at Revelation 11.6, or 11.4, I mean. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now look, they don't consider themselves to be standing before Antichrist. They don't consider themselves to be standing by or before the people of Israel. They're standing before God. As they prophesy, as they prophesy, it is not their responsibility whether or not the people respond. Their responsibility is how they communicate the message from God. Why? Because they're witnesses. They're witnesses. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to give. The message from God to the people, not caring, not caring. Listen, not caring how it's received, but caring how the message is given. Because as the preacher, I don't answer to you, I answer to him. Is that right? And as witnesses, you don't answer to me, you answer to him. olive trees and witnesses. So what does this have to do with us? Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Remember the olive trees, the oil? That's the Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, it's very simple. God told his disciples, now you've seen all this. Now you are to be witnesses. What's it say? Witnesses unto them. You got to be witnesses unto the people. You got to be witnesses unto the nations. You got to be wit- Is that what it says? What's it say? You shall be witnesses, what's it say? Everybody look at it. And ye shall be witnesses. What's it say? Unto me. You see, we are witnesses unto God by speaking to the people what God has told us to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do you think we have a message? How many of you are glad that you're not in your sin? That you're saved? You're a new creature. Then look at what it says. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ... Now look at what it says, "...and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit." That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto him, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ... As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Why? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look, my job is to reconcile people to God. How? With the word of reconciliation that he has given me, I'm a witness unto him by telling everyone about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Now, I know there's some of you out there that are like me. I understand that I'm supposed to do that. I just wish that fire could come out of my mouth to destroy my enemies. That's why it doesn't. Look, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to represent Christ in this world well. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks a reason of the hope that is in you, in meekness and in fear. Man, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to represent Christ in the right spirit in this world because everything that we see, it assaults our holy senses. Do you remember how Paul felt when he went to Athens? He said, my heart was stirred in me when I saw a city wholly given over to idolatry. Well, now we have a world that's been wholly given over to idolatry. American idol. Everything is idolatry. Everything. They even talk about it. Temples made to football. That's how they're described. That's how they're described. This world is completely given over to idolatry. And we as believers, we're here and we're trying to be holy and we know what's true, we know what God has said and we get angry, we get frustrated. But we can't express that anger and frustration when we're trying to represent Christ. I know there's somebody out there saying, yeah, and you're the one to tell us that. Look, this is something I've really been praying about, especially in the last couple of weeks. I've got to have the right spirit. I don't want to be the man that snaps at people, that, that stands up for my rights all the time. Because that person that I'm standing up for my rights to might be the person that I'm trying to give the gospel to the next day. What's the difference between standing up for your rights and being like Christ? It's dying to self. It's dying to self. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Look, we're to give God's message from God to the people. We care about lost souls, but we can't care about how the message is received. We've got to give the message as Christ tells us to. Now listen, that tells us when to be harsh. Scriptures tell us when to be harsh. And the Scriptures tell us when to be gentle. Notice, Jesus was gentle with the woman caught in adultery. He was very harsh with the religious leaders. So what should we be? We should be very harsh to the religious leaders and gentle to sinners. Amen? See, what are we going to do? What's the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. If we're going to be steadfast, be, be uh, uh, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, if we're going to do that, then we've got to do the work the way the Lord did it. That means strong and hard where He was, gentle and meek where He was. And where was He the most gentle and meek about His own person? That's the way that we're supposed to be. These prophets, these two witnesses, man, uh, it's going to be bad for the people that mess with them. Would you agree with that? We don't have that power. But you know what these witnesses were? They were indestructible until God was finished with them. Do you know what you are? You're indestructible until God's finished with you. Let's be witnesses. Let's be witnesses. Let's be witnesses. Uh, All of this, Zechariah, all of this, it's pointing to what's coming in Revelation. And yet in between there is our opportunity to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What kind of a witness are you? Do you cry against the world's abuses without ever telling people about their lost and sinful condition? If you are, you're an unfaithful witness. If you only tell people about their lost and sinful condition and never confront the immorality of the age, you're not being a faithful witness. So how do we do it? We do it the way Jesus Christ said to do it, in spirit and in truth. Amen? The spirit of Christ, the spirit of love, the truth of the word of God. And I know what you're thinking. Man, I can't do that. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. I hope that God's challenged you. If you're not saved today, I hope you'll get saved. If not, all this judgment that's coming, it's on you. I can't can't sugarcoat it. You're going to go to hell if you're alive when Jesus Christ returns. You're going to go through the judgment. You're going to be tormented physically, horribly, and then for eternity in, in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. That's not what Christ wants to do. Christ wants you to be saved so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for Zechariah.